We're going to read the whole of Mark 13. So it's going to be a minute. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear wars, hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will, there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth, birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear, bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not, by, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those things who are, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anyone, anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of, of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human, human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after after that tribulation, the sun will not will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. 
as soon as its branch begin, becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Summer is near. So also, when you see these things take, taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the ma master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to, you, say to all, stay awake. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. My name is Josh. Uh, if there's anyone here, well, there's some people who I don't recognize. My name is Josh, I'm one of the pastors here, and one of the great privileges of being a, a pastor and a preacher is that you, well, one, you get to preach passages like this that are like impossible. <laughs> passages that, that uh, over the last couple millennia, people have debated and disagreed about, and Beneath that, there's also this verse in James that says, those who teach will be held to a stricter judgment than those who do not. So you're like, well, I'm wading into something that there's a whole bunch of disagreement about. So I'm almost certainly gonna end up in that camp of those who, who incur the stricter judgment because I'm probably gonna go wrong somewhere. So if you think I have, I invite you to send me an email. I've got a delete button on my email, it's awesome. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, will, I will respond to you if you email me. Or you can come talk to me afterwards, or you can email Cameron at doorofhopepdx.org. Um, but all that just to say, this is a, pas this is a passage on judgment, but before we uh, really dig in there, I want us to move to another passage, and this is in Luke chapter 10. Sometimes uh, the words of Jesus that can seem, you know, rather cryptic or whatever might might, uh, we, could, we could gain a little bit more insight by looking at something else in Jesus' life. This is um, from Luke 10, and if you're really like, um, you know, have some of your Bible memorized, you might remember Luke 10 has a really famous passage in it, the passage of the Good Samaritan. And that's not the one that we're gonna be looking at, but that is the context for what we're looking at. That's what happens previous to this. So if you, if you recall, or maybe you don't, maybe you're here and you've never heard it, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan goes something like this. A, a, a scholar, a scholar of the Jewish law comes to Jesus and he says, what, what do I gotta do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you're a scholar of the law. What does the law tell you to do? And he says, well, to love God with all your, all your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, great, do it. That's it. And the guy, it says, wanting to justify himself, says, yeah, well, who's my neighbor, technically? Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this story about a man who goes on a journey, and he uh, runs into robbers who leave him half dead, rob him of everything he has, leaves him half dead. 
And then two very pious individuals from the Jewish religious system come by and they actually pass him by. The irony there, actually, I've, I've been to that road in Jerusalem to Jericho, and it's, I got to tell you, it's really generous to call it a road because it's about as wide as this music stand right here. So in order to cross on the other side of the road, as Jesus says, you have to like actually go up this rocky slope on the mountain to get around somebody else. So anyways, the, the, the pious and the religious people pass him by, say, ew, he's icky. And then this man that the scholar would hate, a Samaritan comes and he binds up his wounds and he pays for his hospital visit and does all that. And then Jesus says to the, uh, to the scholar, so which one of these guys do you think was a neighbor to him. And of course the scholar says, well, you know, the one who helped him. In fact, he can't even say the word Samaritan because he'd probably have to go like that. So he just says, oh, the one who helped him out. So that's the context. Right after Jesus says that, this is what happens in verse 38 of, of Luke chapter 10. Now as they, Jesus and his entourage, went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now this is, this is a, I think this is one of the funniest stories in the Bible. This is so funny. So Jesus walks into a a village. A woman named Martha says, I would like to host you. And uh, her sister is also there. And while Jesus is teaching and the disciples are sitting at his feet, her sister Mary is sitting there too. And, And I love how, just how much gall Martha has here, right? She comes up to the Lord and tells him what to do. She's just like, Lord, Tell my deadbeat sister to get off her duff and help me out in the kitchen, you know? Or maybe she was a little bit more passive-aggressive than that. I don't know. Like, hey, see how much I'm doing? See how little she's doing? I don't know. Maybe maybe she's a bit more Portlandish and passive-aggressive. But either way, her way, she's just like, we need to get this done, Jesus. We need to get this done. And Jesus responds to her in verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This story is is about a misalignment of priorities. Do you guys catch that? It's a misalignment of priorities. Now, Martha's doing a good thing. In fact, if you take that Good Samaritan parable that Jesus just said, which one is being the Good Samaritan, being the good neighbor to Jesus? You'd probably say it's Martha. She's the one sweating her took us off in the kitchen, serving him, serving his disciples, serving her own sister. Notice that the, the scholar never goes, goes to the how do I love the Lord with all my heart question. It's just who's my neighbor? So Jesus goes along with them. Jesus is continuing this teaching. It's a misalignment of priorities. Which which is most important, that first commandment or the second one? We have this problem probably nonstop, right? Uh, We don't prioritize well. It's one of our uh, many charms or faults, right? 
We, we don't know how to align our priorities. We get enamored with things that can be really good things, but they're not the best thing. And this is essentially the call that Jesus has to his disciples in this passage in Mark chapter 13. Prioritize your life. Get, get your priorities straight. There's a lot of things that are going to be crying for your attention. And so he actually, I mean, we'll get into this, this later, but he has a couple of key words that he, he repeats throughout the passage. I'm not going to go back and read it all, because then you'll probably fall asleep. You know, you were in danger of passing out before if your legs were locked, and now you'll be in danger of taking a nap if I read it all again. But I will say this. Where Jesus is going to go is he's going to talk to them about a destabilization that's going to happen. Their whole world is going to destabilize. In fact, this whole misalignment of priorities, that's, the con- that's, that's how Jesus enters into this talk. Back in, in verse 1, he, Jesus, came out of the temple. Remember, remember Jesus, it's, it's his last week, and he comes in and he throws the gauntlet down in the temple by, by kicking everyone out and saying, like, no, you guys, you guys got it wrong. This is my father's house, and it's a house of prayer, and you're turning it into a house of productivity or of uh, currency or whatever you want to call it. But it's not what God, what God designed it for. And then Jesus has a series of skirmishes with the religious leadership in which they're testing and questioning him, and he's, he gives them the answer. And then finally, last, last week, Cameron took you through Jesus, uh, you know, I call it Jesus' report cards. He gives the report card out to the religious establishment, writes a big fat red F on there, even though everybody else is thinking these guys got an A+. He says, no, you get a big fat F. And then this poor widow, she gets an A+, for her two little pennies, right? So now... Jesus is walking out of the temple. He's done all that. He's watched, they've just watched the woman tinkle in her, her uh, pennies, and they're walking out of the temple. And one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. Now, keep in mind, this, this temple truly was a wonder. It was amazing to see. Uh, the, the records we have say that some of the stones were, uh, so, oh gosh, I'm trying to do the math. It's 25 cubits, which is a, a, just short of 40 feet long, by 12 cubits, which is 18 feet, by 8 cubits, which is 12 feet. So 12 feet by 18 feet by 40 feet. One stone. And there's no cranes. There's, there's no modern technology to help them move these stones. Like, it's incredible. It would be a sight to see. But it's not just the sight to see that the disciples have in mind, right? They, they, they're thinking Jesus is the Messiah, and they know the Messiah is supposed to reign from Jerusalem, from the temple. So they're not just saying, hey, isn't this impressive architecture? They're going, hey, Jesus, check out the office space. <laughs> isn't this going to be great? And Jesus says, your priorities are wrong. Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. See, they're, they're impressed by the wrong things. Jesus has already said three times he's going to Jerusalem to be arrested, to be tried, to be executed, and to rise from the dead. And three times, right over their heads. I love the fact that they actually admit that because you, you know that the disciples were the ones who like, are responsible for these accounts. So they weren't like, 
yeah, all the other disciples didn't get it, but I got it. You know, like they just full on admit we had no clue. We had no clue. So Jesus is responding to them saying, oh, look how impressive this is. Look how great it's going to be. And he says, that's not what's going to happen, guys. That isn't what's going to happen. Right now you're trying to prioritize how you're going to be in the club, in the regime, in the cabinet, ruling the world. That's not what you need to be focusing your attention on. And so they know, if Jesus is saying the temple is going to be destroyed, in the Jewish mind at that time, the only, like, how could God let his name be dishonored by letting his temple be destroyed? Well, the only way that that could happen is if this is the end of the world. If this is truly the, in the Greek, the word is eschaton. If this is the end of the age, when all history is wrapped up, that's the only way God could let this happen. And so they ask him. In verse 3, he sat on Mount of Olives opposite the temple, and Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, Lord, when will these things be, and what will be the sign that these things are to be accomplished? Now, this next part's the part where I'm, I'm just going to skip ahead. I can't read all of it. But so you see the context into which they're asking the question. They're going, okay, so the temple's going to be leveled. That must mean it's the end of the age. Okay, Lord, when is this going to happen? That's the big question, when? And as Jesus goes along, he tells them four times, he uses this word where uh, in verse 5 it says, see that no one leads you astray. That's the same word later on where he says, be on guard. Be on guard, or maybe your translation says, watch out, something like that. He's going to say that over and over and over again. Watch out. And the reason why is because there's going to be things happening that will pull their, draw their attention somewhere else. So he mentions things like wars and rumors of wars, and also deceivers. He says, take care, no, don't let people lead you astray about what's really happening. And then he goes on in, in, um, and talks about how they're going to be persecuted, right? That's one of the things that's going to happen. You're going to be persecuted. But don't worry, these are just the warning signs. And then he goes on to talk about this thing called the abomination of desolation or the abomination that makes desolate or something like that. Something with abomination. It's quite, quite the word these days. I don't know if anybody has said that recently um, other than maybe to your, your kids when they do something to their siblings. Um, okay, I'll admit I, I, I have said that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but so there's this thing called the abomination which actually comes from the Old Testament, the only Bible that they had from Daniel chapter 9, which signals the end of the age. And all the things that Jesus is talking about, that's all, he's just repeating stuff that's in, the, that's in the Old Testament about what's going to happen when the day of the Lord, it's called the day of the Lord or judgment day when that happens. So what, it's really difficult to tell what, what entirely is going on here, other than the fact that we know that there was a rebellion in Palestine that started in 66 AD and ended in 70 AD, where the Jews, they kicked all the Romans out. They took up arms and they kicked all the Romans out and walled themselves in. And Rome took a little while to take care, to take care of that business. They had fatter fish to, uh, fish to fry elsewhere. So the Roman armies just start just like leveling everything around Jerusalem, just systematically closing in on them. And then one of the things that happened is the people, what, what you would do when that was happening is you would go from outside the city to inside the city walls. Notice what Jesus had said, oh look, here he is, here's the Christ. These, this deception is to tell you to go into the city. 
rather than out, which is what Jesus says. Leave. When you see this happening, get out of town. And we know from Josephus especially that there were various factions who were saying, God's not going to let Jerusalem fall. Put us in charge. We'll make sure. We'll, ta- we'll take care of you. Right? These, these are exactly what Jesus is saying. So clearly he has in mind this destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But it can't just be that because he talks about in verse 24, but in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. What's going on here? Maybe that happened, but it appears like the sun and the moon and the stars are still here. Perhaps what's happening is what's kind of, I guess you would call it the typical or the standard way that prophecy works, even in the Old Testament. It works kind of like if you, um, maybe this illustration won't work if you haven't done this, but if you come through Oregon from the east in central Oregon, you'll see, if you guys have been to central Oregon, you know there's a whole bunch of mountains there. Whole bunch of mountains, you know, and not just three-fingered jack and sisters, and like there's a ton of them. But as you're coming from the east, you, see, you just see a ton of these little humps, these mountains sticking up everywhere. And from where you're looking, they all look parallel to one another. But as you drive along, you'll see these, these are miles and miles apart from one another. That's how biblical prophecy often works. They're, they're describing a horizon without reference to time. So when they describe this slope and this slope next to each other, they're not describing the time between them, the distance between them, they're just describing them as coming one after another. So Jesus is speaking clearly of what's happened in, or well, in his, when he's speaking it, what's going to happen, speaking about the future. And he's also speaking about what's gonna happen in the end, in the end, when he comes. And he describes the unmaking of the planet, of the things, I mean, they thought the temple, you know how long it took to build that temple? They thought it's going to be here forever. So when Jesus says it's going to be knocked down, that's a bit destabilizing. But think about this, the sun, the moon, the stars, like that's the same sun that, you know, Aristotle was looking at and Moses was looking at. And those stars are the same stars that God told Abraham, look, you're going to have as many children as there are stars up there. It's the same ones. Talk about something that you can rely on, something that's stable, that gives you a sense of things always going to be there. The sun always comes up over there and goes down over there. Sun gone? What? It's crazy. I used to, there's a restaurant here in Portland on 28th and Gleason called Pambiche. And you could always recognize it because it had that bright, teal, like turquoise or whatever. It just had these bright colors. You could always see Pambiche there. And then somebody came in and thought they could make a lot more money by painting it beige. Come on. I thought it would be stable. I thought it would last forever. You know, when I first moved here, uh, Sandy and Burnside, there was this intersection of Sandy and Burnside and 12th and like another intersection. We called it Killer Corner because you know somebody's going to be dead there soon. Because it's just like... But you could see from there, you could see the West Hills. You could see downtown Portland. You can't do that anymore. What we think is stable, what we hang on to, to feel like our life is stable, that's going to come undone. Even to the elements of the earth. That's what Jesus is talking about. 
So what's going to endure? Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. One of the things we know for sure that will endure is Jesus' word. It's Jesus and his word. So, he says, you won't know the hour in verse 32. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus' word will endure, and we won't know exactly when that happens. So let's move into, let's move into a few things here. So this is going to happen. Judgment is, go- is going to happen. According to the Bible, there's, there's no way around this. It's been talked about for a very, very long time. And if you're here and, and that bothers you, uh, that's okay. It's okay to be bothered by that. You know, what's interesting about us, especially here in the West, is we simultaneously, we, we want freedom. We want to be free. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do or to judge us for our life. And at the same time, we're totally racked with anxiety about where our life is going and what we're doing and whether or not we're going to be okay. And in fact, what you need in order to know you're okay is for somebody over you to say you're okay, which means to judge you. So we simultaneously want freedom and we also recognize that when we get this total freedom, we're racked with anxiety. We actually want judgment. And we don't just want judgment to come on those bad people over there. We want it on us. Everybody wants a grade on their paper. Like if you write your paper, you can't just put, you know, I'll just give myself an A. That doesn't mean anything. You need someone bigger than you to judge you. Not only that, but we know our world is messed up. We know that nobody, you know, imagine, I don't know if there's anybody on this planet who's gone to their, to their death and they got exactly out of life what they put into it. Like as much suffering as they put in, that's how much suffering they endured. Or as much goodness and, and life and joy they gave to the world, that's what they received in their life. Nobody goes to their grave having those, balance, those scales perfectly balanced. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. We want there to be a judgment because we know that The scales don't get balanced in this age. So we actually want there to be another age. So if you're here and you don't, or you're listening to me and you don't know Jesus, you don't know this whole Christian thing, and you're like, well, I don't want a God who judges, I want a God who's love. Well, okay. Well, then actually, then what you're saying is you actually don't want for the scales to be balanced. You actually don't want justice at all, which most of us admit we do. We, We need something like that. What if you could have both? But wait, there's more. We have a God who's both just and loving. That's what Christianity offers to you. That's what Christianity offers to you. So some of us are believers, though, and you're kind of apathetic about it. We act like judgment isn't going to happen. You know, tomorrow's going to be just like today, which is just like yesterday, and we're just going to go on and on with life. Remember, remember when, when uh, remember, think about your priorities in high school. We don't prioritize the fact that judgment's happening. Remember your priorities in high school? You're like, I need to get in the in crowd, or I need to be dating that person, or I need to get the latest Limp Biscuit record, or whatever it was, you know. <laughs> or get on the basketball team. I don't know. Think about how long it took for you to realize that those priorities were like way, like just don't really matter at all. Hopefully it took you like a month after graduating. Uh, if it took longer, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, some of us myself included, are a bit slow on the, slow on the jump there. 
But think about the way that we do priorities. We just don't get it. Like when you become an adult, you think you got it, but we're still way off, right? Think about it this way. I actually wanted to make a slide of this, but I didn't have time. I was thinking about making this slide. If you can just imagine, let's just, I'll paint it with words. Three categories, three columns, right? Judgment is coming, things that will endure, right? Okay, that's the first column, things that will endure. Jesus and his word, that will endure. The way that you and I endure along with that is by our connection to Jesus. If his life is inside of you, you endure alongside of him. That's actually how it works. Now, things that will not endure, things like uh, the sun, the moon, stars, heaven, earth, political regimes, Star Wars and Marvel movies, Sarah McLaughlin dog commercials will not endure. And some of us are saying, praise God for that. The third column is one that I made up called things that might endure. And these are things like Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, WC's Claire de Lune, maybe some Nick Cage movies. <laughs> ben Stiller's uh, Cough in Zoolander. Uh, so those maybe will endure. But all joking aside, if judgment is real, it's really coming. You want to survive that judgment. You, you want to live through that. And so if, if you don't know Jesus, if his life is not inside of you, this is a threat to you. And I would plead with you. I would beg you, come accept Jesus. Accept what he offers to you. It has not come to, it hasn't come yet. And maybe you're, you're wondering, well, why hasn't it come yet? You know, Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. Is it really going to happen? It should have it happened already, right, if it was going to happen. Well, you can turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. Because there, a generation after Jesus, they were saying the same thing. You know, it had been 40 years or something like that. And they're like, yeah, right, is it ever going to happen? And what Peter says there is he says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like a day. So for us, that's like two days, right? Two thousand years, that's only two days. And then he says something very interesting. He says, don't mistake the fact that the longer the Lord waits, the greater you see his patience with you because he desires that none should perish but all should come to repentance. The longer he waits, the greater we get to see his patience. So he wins either way, right? When he comes, it's like, boom, I got my own. When, as he waits, we're getting to see his patience. He's being glorified and magnified by how patient he is. And think about this. If people were saying that 40 years after Jesus, what if he would have just come then? We wouldn't be here. God waited for you. God's waited for you. And if you don't know Jesus, he's waited for you to hear this. He's waited for you this long. Every hour, every day that he waits is a gift. So don't waste it. Don't waste it. Now, there might be another kind of person here listening to this. And I don't, I don't imagine, I'm not saying this is anybody in this room, but I grew up in, the, I grew up in a rural area. Um, where sometimes people would sort of get obsessed over figuring all this stuff out, figuring out when it's going to happen. And sometimes they would drive like 1973 Toyota pickups with plywood canopies built on them with antennas sticking out everywhere. And they lived in the mountains and they were listening in on like their CB radio to everything that was going on. Not, I'm not saying that's anybody here, but maybe you get 
you get really excited about reading the stuff and trying to figure it out and you're, you're watching the news cycle to be like, okay, now Russia's in Ukraine, so this must be the, uh, you know, you're trying to make a one-to-one match over what Jesus is saying to watch out for and what's actually happening around us. I actually don't think that that is what Jesus is talking about when he says, watch out. Uh, first of all, keep in mind, Jesus said he didn't know the day. So if, if the father isn't gonna tell Jesus, uh, he's, he's probably not gonna tell you. Okay, let's just, let's just get that one out of the way right now. Probably not gonna tell you. Um, and, and also, the fact that Jesus doesn't know, Jesus says, I don't know. Only the, only the father, he hasn't even told me or the angels. Um, you might go, hey, I thought, I thought you Christians believed that Jesus was God or was the son of God. Shouldn't he know this? And the answer is, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he, he actually has all the attributes of God, but when God said, I'm gonna become human, he said, I'm gonna play by the human rules. I'm actually not gonna give myself any unfair advantages. So I'm not going to actually access my omniscience so that I know everything. I'm going to be, put myself in that passive position where I have to receive from the Father what I can know, and I have to trust him. So yes, Jesus is still the son of God even when he doesn't know. If you, want to, if you want to hear more about that, come talk to me afterwards. We can discuss it some more. So, this call to watch is not to look out for the date and figure out what's going on, but actually watch for Jesus. Here's what one commentator said. He said, the primary function of chapter 13 is not to disclose esoteric information, but to promote faith and obedience in a time of distress and upheaval. So the point is not to figure out the date and then call it and be like, I knew it, I, I knew when it was coming, I got there first. That's not it. So last thing I'm gonna say before we're done. What does Jesus mean when he says this, stay awake, be on guard, watch? What, what does he mean by this stuff? Well, there's, there's two word, main words that he uses. That first one I mentioned, the one for see and for watch out. That happens all over the place. Let's see, I, I think I wrote it down. It's here in uh, verses 5, verse 9, verse 23, and verse 33. Watch out, be on guard, is what he says. And I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Other than he, he used that word, and then the, the second word he uses, he uses four times in just that last, in verses 32 to 37, he uses that word four times, the word for stay awake. So clearly the, the imperatives that Jesus has in mind here is something about watching and staying awake. That's what he's asking the disciples to do. So what does it mean for us to do that? You know, they're looking for the, the fall of Jerusalem and all these things happen. What are we looking for? How do we stay on guard? How do we watch? Well, one way is what he mentions here. It's as a faithful servant. It's, it's the, the night watcher who's faithfully watching to see when the Lord is coming, who's looking at what's happening around you and saying, oh, yes, this reminds me that the Lord is coming. So I'm going about life, going about the master's business as I wait and watch for him. That's one way of doing it. I think there's another way. There's another way. There's another metaphor in scripture for, how, uh, for, for somebody watching. And this happens, uh, like a, a, probably the best metaphor it is, is in Song of Songs. It's watching like a lover watch, watches for their beloved to come. There's a story in Song of Songs where the woman is saying, oh, I was waiting, I was watching for him, and then he was right there at the door. 
He was right there at the door. And when I came to the door, I got myself all dressed up. I came to the door and he was gone. Please, somebody tell me, have you seen him? It's the watch of a lover, the, the watch of one who's not just studiously and faithfully following, but the watch of one who is earnestly sick with love, desiring to see their beloved. This is actually what Paul, uh, I think, is talking about in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 6. He's at the end of his life, and he talks about this thing called the crown of righteousness. It says this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. That means I'm going to die. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. This is the day he's talking about, the day of judgment. And not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. Loved his appearing. There's something that we often miss as believers. We think it's really about duty, and we forget what Jesus said in John 15. I have not only called you servants, I have called you friends. I've called you friends. Now, you can be a friend and also be a diligent, faithful servant. I'm not saying these are exclusive to one another. What I am saying is the Lord is not just after your service. That's the whole point, the whole priorities. What was Martha doing? She was doing service. Mary is the one who's chosen the better part by being with the Lord. And so as we watch and we're on guard and we're looking out for these things, we're not looking out for dates and we're not looking out just to cover our own rear end so we can be a good faithful servant. We're actually watching out because we long to see the Lord. Do you long to see him? Do you long to see him? Now, when I say that, you might be feeling a little bit of guilt <laughs> because it's like, how, how can I make myself desire, desire someone, desire something? And the truth is, well, for the most part, you can't. You really can't. But what you can do is say, well, I recognize that I don't long for the Lord and I want it. I want it. You come to the Lord with whatever kind of want you've got, even if it's the want to want, you come to him and find that he will give it to you. Here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. We don't do this. I don't do this most of the time. I'm not, I'm not watching for the Lord. I think that I'm going to go get my kid downstairs when this is all over, and he could come right now in the next second. The wonderful thing about the Lord is that he knows that. And one of the ways in which that longing and that love is awakened and fueled in us is by our recognition that we don't have it, our sorrow over that and our recognition that he loves us even when we don't have it. You know, that if you were to summarize the gospel, this is how I would do it. Forgive me, it's pretty crass. But the message of the Bible is this. We, human beings, are all stupid and evil. That's, that's the bad news, okay? We're stupid and we're evil. The good news is that God loves us anyway, and we can't really help it, so you might as well stop faking it and making it worse for yourself and everybody else, because when you're faking it, not only do other people hate you, but you hate yourself. 
Okay, and, and you could take that logic and be like, well, if I'm, if I'm screwed up anyway and I can't help it, I might as well be as bad as possible. Well, then you're just going to be more stupid and more evil, which is not a good idea. I don't recommend that by any stretch of the imagination. But if God loves you so much that he's like, hey, you're stupid and evil and I love you anyway, doesn't that make you want to say, okay, if you're going to accept me as I am, Okay, I, I want to meet you. I want to be with you. I want you to come. I want to see your appearing. I want that. See how the gospel works? Even your flubs, even your constant, you know, bumbling of things, God uses. He uses that. It's like, you know, if, you, if you've ever made something uh, like a stew, you take those ingredients and you just take a big bite of whatever it is, sometimes you would say, that is disgusting. That is horrible. Just take a tablespoon of chili powder. Gobble that down. See if you like it. But you put that chili powder in a delicious chili, and it's amazing. That's how God uses our hard and stubborn hearts, our, our ways in which we veer from him. He uses even those to then fuel our love for him. So let him burn that fuel up and fill you up with love for him. Long for his appearing. You know, we're constantly on watch for other things. Of course we are. The news cycle, you know, our team winning, a good deal. Lower interest rates, better job opportunity. We're constantly on the watch for these things. When we know the one thing that we really need more than anything is Jesus. And the great news is that he's right here and he says, I love you. I'm crazy about you. Doesn't matter how you are. I still love you. So with that in mind, let us pray and then continue in worship.